Our lesson this morning comes from the 11th chapter of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11, starting with the 19th verse. Hear these words. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and they spoke the word to no one except Jews. But among them were some men of Cyprus and Cyrene who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, proclaiming the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced. And he exhorted them to all remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for an entire year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. George died. George was the president of a bank in Lake Charles, and George was a scoundrel. He had no business ethics. He would sign loan papers and just cheat you blind, even though he was a banker. He had no moral ethics. All the females in the bank got a special interview from George, and he would all explain that if they wanted to continue their banking career or if they wanted raises, that he, George expected certain behavior. George did not attend church, not even on the three days of male obligation to attend church, Christmas, Easter, and Mother's Day. George was not there. He made no bones about it. He was a scoundrel. Didn't need the church. Didn't need Jesus. Just leave him alone. Let him live his life. George died. And his wife, widow Virginia, came to the church office to plan his funeral with the pastor. And the first words out of her mouth was, I just want you to know that George was a real Christian. And the response was, in whose fantasy universe was George a real Christian? Obviously in hers. He cared for people. He would give people who didn't deserve a loan a loan. He cared for the employees at the bank. Oh, there would be some of these sweet mamas that just wouldn't have enough money for their children's school clothes, and George would buy them school clothes. Uh-huh. He was such a sweet Christian. So you had what the community knew about George, and George didn't hide who or what he was. And you had what Virginia said. Virginia had asked 
Dr. Carl Lug, who was the pastor emeritus of that church to do the service, and the senior minister went, Whew, glad I avoided that one. And Dr. Lug, who had been at that church for, I think Carl had been there 13 years as the pastor, he had retired and come back as the pastor emeritus. Carl was a saint of the church. He was a holy man. And Carl struggled with, what am I going to say about George? Because Carl knew what he was doing too. The day of the funeral arrived and Carl went through all the preliminaries and read the scripture and prayed the prayer and got up for the meditation. He walked into the pulpit, he surveyed the congregation, and he stood for just that moment of silence and he took a deep breath. And Carl Lug said, we all know that in his life, George touched all the bases. There was histronics that broke out in the congregation because they knew what he was saying. And they thought, oh, what a great way for Carl Lug to say that. And they would have sat there just holy and pie. Oh, yes, George touched all the bases. And the people who know George went, yeah, he touched all the bases, all right. And Dr. Luke just walked through it, and all the congregation could remember about that sermon was that he touched all the bases. It's happened to me that scoundrels have died, and the spouse of the scoundrel comes in and plans the funeral, and I have to listen about how good a Christian the scoundrel was when I knew what the scoundrel had done because I'd seen the scoundrel do it in public. The average person doesn't know what it means to say someone is a Christian. They don't know what it really is to be a Christian. Has it ever occurred to you that you can be born and raised in a Christian home, you can attend a Christian school, you can join a Christian church, you can live by Christian principles, you can read a Christian Bible, you can even have a Christian worldview and still not be a Christian. These are marks of a Christian, but they do not make a Christian. And there is a difference between being a Christian in name and being a Christian in nature. So this morning, I'm not going to tell you what it means to be a Christian, and I'm not going to let you define for me what it means to be a Christian. Because I think we need to unfold what it is described as in the Bible. There's an interesting study in the Bible about Christian. The term believer is used 80 times. The word saint is used 60 times. The word disciple is used 30 times. The word Christian appears in the New Testament three times. Three times. And I think those three times give us a hint of the essence of what it means to be a Christian. So they're in Antioch. And all I can say about the church of Antioch is we have had disruption break loose in Antioch. 
First of all, you've got the Roman army occupying the northern part of Syria. So they've got Palestine under their thumbs. You've got the Jews who believe in Jesus, and the Jews are only converting other Jews. They're only talking about Jesus with other Jews. And all of a sudden, some foreigners come in, and they start talking about the Hellenist about Jesus, and all of a sudden we have the Hellenist and the Jews trying to figure out how to get along with each other in a church. They didn't get along with each other out in the world. How in the world are they going to get along with each other in the church? The church has been disrupted. But it's in this disrupted community, it's in this community where it appears as though these people will never get along, that that suddenly they discover some things about each other. It's a joy-filled, graceful community. It's a place where um, they're encouraged by Barnabas to continue with their efforts in spiritual formation, that they need to continue with steadfast devotion to being faithful to the Lord. It's a community where they're practicing prosthetics. Every time in the Greek, every time in the book of Acts when it says, and 3,000 were added to the church or some group gets added to the church, and here in the text it says that um, a great many people were brought the Lord, there's always one Greek word, and it's the Greek word prosthetics. We get grafted in or attached to the body of Christ. So this church at Antioch where people have given their hearts to Jesus Christ, where they have become Jesus followers, where they're acknowledging the Lordship of Christ, this church that is a dynamic, growing, holy-filled church. Holy Spirit-filled congregation. This church where it's not that they know everything, it's where they're curious and they're still learning. It's this church where people are first called Christians. What would happen if God disrupted us If God said, I want you to go here and do this, or if God said, I'm calling you to this group of people, I want you to go and in my name do, what would happen if God got us out of our habits? One of the the great tragedies of the church is right now the Holy Spirit could just be removed from the church, gone. No Holy Spirit. And 90% of what we do, we could keep doing it. And what does that tell you? We're doing it. God's not involved. What would happen if we got curious about what would happen in our church and in our faith walk with Christ if we started following the Spirit of God, chaos would erupt. Disruption would happen. I'm so old that I remember when the circus would come to town. 
Yes, it used to actually come to town. Yes, there used to be a parade through town. Here comes the circus. And yes, they had tigers in cages and they had elephants and there were clowns and there were men and women on stilts and there was a ringmaster. And, and you would go and you would get around the center ring and you would be there with either your boiled peanuts or your popcorn and you would watch. There was really something like the circus came to town. Yes, I remember. I also remember the time when there were just three channels on the television and they were all in black and white, but that's a whole other story. I used to love the trapeze artist because I could swing on a swing and I knew monkey bars and I thought, you know, that's kind of like monkey bars in the swing way up high and you'd watch them and they would flip and grab each other and they'd flip back and grab each other or they would swing an empty swing and they would lied to it and was like, this is cool. So I was reading about trapeze artists and you know what's the very first thing they ever learn? They have to learn how to fall. So they go up and they get on a swing and they let go of the swing. So they learn that there's a net to catch them. That they will never be good at it or great at it until they learn to get rid of the anxiety about falling and just allow that net to catch them. What would happen if the church gave up our neurosis about being right or doing it perfect and the church was willing to try things even if we might fail at trying them because that's what the Holy Spirit had led us to do. What would happen? What would happen if we got curious, if we let go of our control, if we were just curious about what the Spirit of God would do? We would become a Christian church. People would start talking about all those Christians because that's what went on in Antioch. The church didn't call itself Christians. The people outside the church looking in called them Christians because they were living with such a radical relationship to Christ. They were following Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. They were doing what God had commanded them to do, what God was leading them to do. They were, they were off the road map, y'all. And they were so radical and so loving and so joy-filled and so adept at developing and deepening their faith that actually the church in Antioch and what happened back in Cornelius' house causes the Jerusalem conference of Acts 15. And we're not going to get to that one, but this is a radical moment in the life of the church. They are Christian because they have given their lives to Christ. They are participating in a radical community of other Jesus followers that are living on the edge. Well, let's see where it is again. It's in the book of Acts, the second time. Paul is on his way to Rome. Paul is appealing to Festus and to Agrippa. And Paul has preached the gospel to these two kings and Roman authorities. And King Agrippa, King Agrippa said to Paul, are you so quickly persuading me to become a Christian? Paul had made a bold witness of his faith in Jesus Christ. Paul had explained what it means to be a Jesus follower. Paul had shown them through his tenacity, through his bravery, through his courage that Jesus would get him through any storm. 
Paul preached fearlessly. He witnessed boldly. You ever told anybody about Jesus? New Orleans was a fun place to be as a seminary student and later as a pastor. Because a lot of people use New Orleans as an evangelism field trip. And I don't know how many times I've stood in front of St. Louis Cathedral in Decatur waiting for the light to change and some guy just thrust a tract at me. The four spiritual laws, how to get the devil off the throne of your life and get Jesus up there where he belongs. And the guy would hand you the tract and say, if you die tonight, brother, do you know if you would go to heaven? And I'm thinking, you know, I'm not that old and I don't want to think about death right now. You need, you need these four spiritual laws. Because if you don't believe what's written in these four spiritual laws, you will burn in hell. said, dude, I've got a master's degree in divinity and I'm working on a doctorate in theology. I think I know better than you what this says and what this is about. Dude didn't care about me at all. He wanted a notch on his Bible. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to see a person in your brain right now that needs Jesus Christ. You know people who don't know Christ. I know you know people who don't know Christ because if I know people who don't know Christ, I know you know people who don't know Christ because you live in the real world. You got them in your brain? Okay. Invite them to supper or lunch. And here's the rule. In that first supper or lunch, lunch you cannot mention the church or Jesus. Why am I going to lead them to Christ? You're going to deepen a relationship with them. You're going to find out what they're about, what they like, what inspires them, what encourages them, what challenges them. You're going to become their friend. How many times do I have to hang out with them as their friend before I talk to them about Jesus? Maybe several. Do you see what we do? We make this whole thing a transaction. We're going to tell you about Jesus. Check that off the book. Do you think that's how Christ did it? No. Do you think that's how Wesley did it? No. Do you think that's how people who actually make disciples do it? No. They develop friendships and authentic relationships. They care about another human being because Christ told us to love our neighbor, told us to love other people. And part of loving other people is having conversations that mean a lot. Our witness becomes bold and authentic when we are truly somebody's friend. When they're not just, we're not just somebody we want to convert to our way of thinking. Paul was so powerful, Paul was so authentic, Paul was so Holy Spirit filled before Agrippa. Agrippa said, you're almost converting me. 
So a Christian is a Jesus follower who's part of a curious church. A Christian is a Jesus follower who's bold with his or her witness for Christ. And the third reference to Christian in the New Testament is found in 1 Peter. Yet if any of you suffer as Christians, do not consider it a disgrace, but glorify God because you bear his name. The third mark of a Christian or a third fruit of a Christian is how do you handle it when trouble comes your way? Peter said, handle it with faith. Don't be surprised when this fiery ordeal comes upon you because your faith is being tested and your faith, which is more precious than gold, is going to boil up and be pure. So in the New Testament, Christian is used at the church at Antioch where there were Holy Spirit-filled, curious believers who were accepting Jews and Gentiles, who were growing and practicing their spiritual formation, who were still curious. They didn't know it all. Christian is used when Paul almost convinces Agrippa because of his bold witness. And Christian is used when the notion of trouble pops up. All of them have in common people who follow Jesus. So this morning, when you come to communion, I want you to look at the people coming to communion, and they're going to be looking at you. And you know what you're seeing? Christians. People who are not perfect, but people who have given their lives to Jesus Christ. People who are following Jesus. People who are longing to walk with Jesus and have fellowship with him. People who are not perfect, but we're on the spectrum of perfection because the Holy Spirit is working in us, because Christ, through his sacrifice, forgave us. And Christ, through his blood, is present with us and sustains us. In our church, communion is available to all. You're all invited here. You're all welcomed here. We serve communion by intention. Come on, Becky. And if you're helping Becky, come on. We serve communion by intention, by receiving a piece of the bread and dipping it in the chalice. Um, there are places here that you can pray after you've received communion, and we invite you to do that. We're going to have two stations, one here, one here, and um, I'm going to say you're on your own. Act like Christians coming down because there are no ushers to help you. The table of the Lord is prepared. You're invited. Would you come? Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.